On location in the Holy Land, David Taverner from UCB travels with Bible teacher and church pastor Mike Beaumont to trace the life of Jesus then and now. For this conversation, we've come south to the River Jordan, or one of the places where you can get close to the River Jordan. But I've got to say, I'm rather disappointed. It's not very wide. <laughs> it isn't, is it? In fact, one of the things I find when I bring people onto us to Israel is they're quite shocked. You know, I've, I've tried this sometimes if I've been teaching in North America. I say, how, how big do you think the Jordan was? And, you know, people say, oh, well, you know, a bit like the Mississippi or, or in England, they'll say a bit like the Thames. And actually, you could easily throw a stone over it. Well, we're just looking across to literally the other side, which is Jordan, the Jordan flag there. And I mean, as you say, you could throw a stone, almost jump. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's about 20 feet across here at the moment, uh, approximately. Of course, in New Testament times, it would have been wider than that. And it probably would have been flowing a little bit faster because water is taken now upstream for, for domestic use uh, uh, by the Israeli and Jordanian authorities. So it would have been a bit wider than we've got. But actually, it was not a huge river. And, you know, the significance of Jordan for God's people will not be, certainly not in its size, like the great rivers, Nile and Tigris and Euphrates. And it will not be because the Jordan was seen as a god, like it was in some of those places. It will have a wholly different significance for God's people. So we've come to a place called Bethany beyond Jordan. You can hear folks in the background, a lot of crowds here actually, uh, because, they're, because they're being baptised, some of them. Yeah, so Bethany beyond the Jordan is actually just on the other side of the river, so in modern-day Jordan. But it was there on the other side of the river, almost certainly, that John the Baptist would have been doing his baptising and his baptising of Jesus that we're going to think about. So not back up in Galilee? Uh, no, absolutely not. It was most definitely down here, although there is a baptismal site, a very popular one these days, where the River Jordan leaves the Sea of Galilee, up there in Galilee. But it was absolutely down here because we know that straight after Jesus' baptism, where was he led? He was led into the wilderness to be tempted and tested by Satan. So, you know, just to the west of where we are now, to that arid, mountainous area. So it was definitely here. In fact, the earliest church evidence seems to suggest we really are very, uh, very close indeed to, to where John's ministry took place. And if we just look across the other side, we can see, what, probably half a dozen churches at least, very close to one another, uh, some of them built on very, very ancient remains indeed, recalling this site where John the Baptist would have baptized and we also know that in early church history many monks came and either came and lived here individually or make communities down here so this really is the bit of the jordan where john the baptist was doing his baptism and where jesus was also baptized can i just check a bit of naming convention john the baptist or john the baptizer yeah well it depends which english translation uh, you read it probably the Baptists like to call him John the Baptist and the non-Baptists like to call him John the Baptizer. Um, 
the Baptist really does mean the baptizer, the, the one who baptized. It's a bit like Jesus the carpenter, John the baptizer. I think by convention he's become known as John the Baptist. It's almost become his name. But probably, you know, if we wanted to get nearer what it says, John the baptizer, John the guy who did baptisms, would be a, a better way to describe him. Now, it does look a little bit like a sort of muddy stream or river maybe might be more fair just here but somewhere in this area then john the baptist or john the baptizer was baptizing people coming out into this wild countryside for that yeah absolutely and in some ways that was almost part of the challenge of of john the baptist he had removed himself from the hubbub of religious life you know around jerusalem and to come here to seek God for himself first and foremost. And it's while he's out here that he, he starts to preach his message, a, a message of preparation for the coming of Messiah. And people flock to him here. Now, as you've seen, <laughs> there's not a lot of places here to flock to from. The nearest place, not too far away, is Jericho, so people would certainly have come from there, but it looks like people heard about John's message and with the messianic expectation that formed the background to New Testament times. As this news goes out, there's a guy down by the Jordan who's, who's baptising and proclaiming that we're called to do this into a radically different lifestyle in readiness for Messiah who is about to appear, and people started to come from far and wide. What did that baptism actually involve? Well, um, the word baptize actually means to immerse. You know, we've made sort of a, given it a religious connotation, haven't we, these days? But to baptize simply meant to immerse in water. Uh, the Greek word baptizo was used for immersing in all sorts of contexts, immersing cloth in dye so that the dye got into the very fabric of the cloth, immersing onions in vinegar to pickle them. It was an ordinary everyday word for to immerse in water. So that tells us immediately that what we've got here is not a, a sprinkling of water over people, a little pouring of water over them. He dunked them under the water immerse them completely fully you know what manner did he use for was backwards push them down hey there are all sorts of different ways of doing that today but the the key thing is john immerse them fully completely in water to symbolize that they were being washed of their sins but fully underwater that was important was it yes it was and it will become important in Christian baptism as we'll perhaps see in a few moments that there was a symbolism of going right under the water to symbolize your being totally washed of all your sin and your old life being totally buried an image that Paul will use in Romans chapter 6 uh, so the the imagery of being pushed under the water lowered under the water however it was done was immensely powerful indeed so john the baptist is baptizing the crowds here with his message about the messiah and then along comes jesus he certainly does so now might be a good time to to read the story why don't we read from matthew chapter 3 and verse 1 in those days john the baptist or john the baptizer came preaching in the desert of judea 
and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one crying in the desert, Prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt round his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptised by him in the river Jordan. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptising, he said to them, You brood of vipers, you bunch of snakes, we might say. Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And don't think you can say to yourselves, but we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the tree. And every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not fit to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So there's that background of the ministry. Mm that John the baptizer was having. Now, let's see where Jesus comes in. Then, Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan. Now, it's come a long way. Yeah. <laughs> we know that from our journeys. He came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? And Jesus replied, Let it be so now. For it's proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. And as soon as Jesus was baptised, he went up out of the water. And at that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. As you said, from Galilee to where we are now, I mean, by road, it's several hours. So Jesus wasn't just passing through. No, he came here deliberately, and it would have taken him several days of walking to get here. Remember, he walked everywhere. So he comes here because he knows that this is an important part of God's plan for him. It's like it's all coming together. He spent the last years at home, growing up, being trained as a, a faithful Jew by his father and mother, learning his trade. And he's probably stayed at home caring for his family until that right moment came. And in heaven, God sends his message, it's now, son. <laughs> and Jesus sets off, and the first thing is to come here to get baptised. Why? I mean, was, was he sinful? You know, like all these other people were, after all, in that passage we read, you know, John was challenging sinners, all sorts of people. Did Jesus come here because he recognised he was a sinner, after all? 
No, no, not at all. We see that in John's, you know, hesitation. Whoa, hang on. I, I, I'm the one that should be baptized by you, not the other way around. And Jesus says, let it be so, because it's fitting for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness, to do what is right before God. Now, Jesus came as a Jew and fulfilled every aspect of the Jewish law so that we no longer need to fulfill that as we trust in him. And here he is in getting baptized. He's identifying with God's people. That's one of the big things. You know, this place here or very, very close to here was a place full of significance in the history of God's people. It's very close to here that Joshua crossed over with the Israelites into the promised land. It's very close to here. In fact, it may have been at this exact spot where Elijah and Elisha crossed over. And then Elisha came back to start his ministry. So there's stories about Israel's story. And it's as if Jesus is coming here to say, I am coming here to take Israel's story to the next stage. It's right for me to do this, to fulfill that story. And it's right for me to come and identify with you as sinners. He's not saying he's a sinner himself, but he's identifying with sinners. He's identifying with Israel and its long story throughout the Old Testament. And it's as if he's saying, in doing this, I am marking out that that story is now coming to its fulfillment in me and I am going to live out that story and do what Israel itself could not do. With groups nearby being baptised together, how important is it to recognise that Jesus chose to be baptised as well? Well, I think it's really important because I think one of the other things is he's modelling something for us. Everything that Jesus did, um, he modelled for us. And the early church will pick this up. The very first thing that the first preachers will call people to do when they want to come to Jesus. You know, on the day of Pentecost, the crowd will turn and say, what then must we do to be saved? And Peter will say, you know, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And if you do this, you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this is a promise for you and your children and all who are far off. So the early church recognized that when Jesus was baptized, this was not just another ritual Jewish washing. There's a very different distinction now. Jews used to have ritual washings for all sorts of things. This is not a mere ritual washing. This is not something you will do today and tomorrow and the day after. This is a, a once-for-all experience as you were marking a new beginning. Jesus was marking a new beginning. His life at home was over. He was marking the beginning of what was going to be his ministry. Christian baptism for us today marks a new beginning. And, and so in, in getting baptised... We're following the example of Jesus, marking that the old life is left behind. Doesn't mean we're perfect, doesn't mean we won't sin anymore. We'll get it wrong at times, of course we will. But we've made a decision that that's not primarily how we're going to live. We're going to follow Jesus. And one of the first places Peter said on the day of Pentecost that we should follow Jesus when we come to him is to follow him into the waters of baptism. 
But to be a sort of proper Christian, do you have to be baptised? Well, that's an interesting one, isn't it? Um, Because clearly on the day of Pentecost, when they asked Peter, what should we do? Peter said, repent and be baptised for the forgiveness of your sins and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I often liken that to four strands of a rope. It's like there are four things that make us a Christian. Repentance, baptism, assurance of forgiveness, receiving the Holy Spirit. And just like a rope is made strong by those strands being twisted, I think a normal rope is probably three strands, but imagine a a four-stranded rope What makes a strong rope? What makes a strong Christian? Repentance of your sins. Baptism to demonstrate that. Being sure that you have received his forgiveness and receiving the Holy Spirit. Now, just as a rope is weaker, if any one of those things is missing, I would say a Christian's weaker if any one of those things is missing. Can you be a Christian without being baptised? Yes, the thief on the cross had no chance to be baptised and yet Jesus said, you'll be with me today in paradise. But that was rather exceptional, wasn't it? And I don't think we can use him as an excuse. Um, Does the manner of getting baptised matter? Well, I think getting immersed is very powerful and is very biblical. But if someone couldn't do that physically, hey, water being poured over you, I'm sure God would take us being exactly the same. But I don't, I'm going to be, this might sound a little bit controversial, but do I need to be baptised? No. But should I be baptised? Yeah. Because it's there in the New Testament. And the assumption throughout the New Testament is that people will be baptised. In in Romans chapter 6, Uh, Paul uses the argument of their baptism. You know, he says, when you were baptised, you were baptised into the death of Christ. There's another picture of baptism. It's not just being washed of your sins. It's your old life being buried. But his argument is meaningless unless he knew that all those Christians had been baptised. So it's clear that in the early church, baptism was a fundamental expression of your decision to follow Jesus. And when Jesus was baptised, somewhere near here, it wasn't just a moment, something actually happened. Oh yeah, as we read in that story, something powerful happened. As soon as he was baptised and came up out of the water, heaven was opened. Wow, I would love to have been there at that moment. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. At that moment, heaven opens and just as later in the story we will get a confirmation of who Jesus is at Caesarea Philippi after Peter's confession at the event called the transfiguration when God will do a similar thing to reassure his son as his ministry is getting towards its end so as his ministry is about to begin there's this affirmation of who Jesus is a confirmation for him himself and also an affirmation for everyone who watched that this was no mere man this was not just another John the Baptist this was not just another prophet this was no one less than God's son come here to earth and he loved him he was pleased with him and he set his seal upon him again that day and out of interest as you read 
the Bible. What happened to Jesus immediately after his baptism? Um, well, you could say everything went pear-shaped, <laughs> which is often what happens today. People get baptised, have uh, an amazing experience uh, of Jesus and surrounded by their church family and go back to work next day and the whole, all hell lets loose. Well, it's very much like that because as we read on in Matthew chapter 4, we read that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert right over there, just where we're looking at now, mm. just up the road except it probably wasn't a road like this because you and I had to come through a minefield to get to this particular site uh, that goes back to when Israel took this part of uh, the country in the 1967 war. So I'm sure there wouldn't have been minefields in those days. But, you know, a couple of miles over there, and he would start climbing those hills, and there he would spend the next 40 days praying and fasting as the devil comes along to try and tempt and test him both, to try and get him to turn away from what's been witnessed to at this place. Still happens today. When people get baptised so quickly thereafter, you'll find people who will try and get you to turn away from it. You will get things happening that try to get you to say, come on, you know, chill a bit, you know, stop being so radical in this following of Jesus. You don't really believe that stuff, do you? Or something will go wrong in some situation. Well, you're in good company. But actually, it hadn't gone wrong. <laughs> Jesus was led into the wilderness by the Spirit. And the Spirit is still with you. And those tempting and testing times, hey, they're what make you strong. As you look around, these groups uh, arriving and departing, carrying towels, swimming <laughs> costumes. What's been your experience when you've been here before? Yeah, well, very much like what we see now. I mean, there are loads of people here today, aren't there? And it is swelteringly hot. And as I look across even now, I can see people from different nations, different coloured skins. And as you go down to the river, which I did just a few minutes ago, right down to the very edge, just hearing people reciting their baptismal vows or actually what a lot of people will do here a lot of christians feel that you know there's something very special in in being baptized in the jordan in following in the footsteps of jesus and it may be that they've been baptized already now theologically the new testament is very clear there's only one lord one faith one baptism and historically the church is not rebaptized, although one or two branches of it have but what many people do here is not so much get baptized as reaffirm their baptismal vows and you will hear that in the wording that the pastor or the person who is doing the baptisms will say do you reaffirm your faith in Jesus Christ it's as if they want to say Jesus in this most special of places I, I want to say yes again I want to say yes to what I said six weeks ago, six months ago, six years ago, 60 years ago. I want to say yes again and reaffirm that as I go down into this water, I'm declaring that because of you, my sins are forgiven, my old life is buried. As I come up out of that water, I am truly coming up and out into that new life that you have won for me. Jesus, yeah, I want to reaffirm and say yes once again. And so you get so much of that happening. And not everybody can come here. So does it matter where you get baptised? No, I don't think it does. And I mean, in the New Testament, we see people getting baptised all over the place. On the day of Pentecost, 
they almost certainly would have got baptised in those many mikvot, the Jewish ritual baths that surround the whole temple area. As the gospel spreads, um, they'll get baptised in all sorts of places. The story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch meeting on the old desert road, they just happened to come across some water, an oasis, and the guy says, well, look, here's some water. What's to stop me getting baptised? So out there in the wilderness, as Paul will go on his journeys around the world, there will be all sorts of different places. Uh, you know, and I've seen that happen today. It doesn't have to be the baptistry in a church building. Um, in fact, one of my friends who is a Polish pastor regularly and normally uh, baptises his people uh, in the river that runs through the town. I've seen that and been part of that many times uh, when I've visited different states in India. I've seen people get baptised in the ocean. Um, I've even seen at least one person get baptised in, in a bath in a home and there was a particular reason for that. But I think it's, it's not where you get baptised that matters. But I'll tell you what I do think is important. I think it's important that it's not a private event if at all possible. Um, because all of these in the New Testament are public events and there's one aspect of baptism uh, which I think is important and that is public witness, public declaration. You're telling the world. You're not just telling your mates, your church, God, I'm a follower of you. You're wanting to declare it in the world. And that's the reason that some of my pastor friends do baptisms in rivers and the sea and so on where People stand and stare and then come up and say, what was all that about? A great opportunity to share the good news of Jesus with them. What if you've been christened but not baptised? The honest truth is, as we all know, there are two broad approaches to baptism in the church today. One is often called christening, though technically its term is baptism, and that is a baptism of infants. Often while they are very young, they've certainly not old enough to have made a decision for themselves. But people who follow that path say, well, their parents are standing in and making a declaration of faith for them in faith and trust that they themselves will confirm that one day. The other strand um, says, Baptism, it's very clear in the New Testament, the very word baptizo, to immerse. It's an immersion baptism, not a sprinkling. And it's a baptism of believers. And I think we have to be honest and say really every account we've got of baptism in the New Testament is a baptism of believers. The only one that sometimes I'm asked about is the uh, house of the jailer in Philippi where he and his family were baptized and sometimes people have said well you know there were probably children there and they got baptized well jailers we know were normally retired soldiers from the Roman army in other words older in other words his kids are older so it's unlikely there were children and we really can't build any theological argument one way or the other on silence so I have to be honest and say there are are two different approaches. There have been people and there will continue to be people who have been baptised as babies who without in any way wanting to disrespect their parents who put them through that still choose to get baptised when they come to a place of personal faith in Jesus because they realise that 
the New Testament says it's repent and be baptized in that order. And so many Christians will today be happy to baptize someone in that instance. In terms of baptism involving going right under the water then, what's the youngest you can be, you know, as a child, and the oldest, you know, is it ever too late? <laughs> Let me deal with the last one because that's easier. It is never too late. Uh, I've personally baptised people uh, who've been very old indeed and whom we've had to help down into the baptistry. We offered to do it another way and I can think of one person who said no, Jesus gave everything for me and if I can't do this for him then I'm not much of a Christian am I? And it took like two or three of us to help him in and to do the baptism and to help him get out again. So um, there's no age limit certainly at the top end. What about at the bottom end? Well you know, there's no rules here in the Bible. I can't point you to anything. And uh, different churches take different lines on that. If I think of my own children, um, one of my three daughters I baptized at the age of seven because she really pressed me about it. But I'll tell you what, I gave her a really hard time, harder than I would have given other seven-year-olds, probably because she was my daughter as well, to really, really make sure that she knew what she was doing and she was absolutely adamant she understood it she wanted to be a follower of Jesus and she said dad I need to do this to follow Jesus and to be obedient to him well who am I to stop my kid being obedient to Jesus having said that my two other daughters got baptized in their teenage years I think what is the most important thing is the level of understanding if you need to understand that Jesus has died for you that he paid the price of your sins on the cross and he rose again to prove that sin and death was conquered and you want to commit your life to following him. And I think people can understand that at growing levels. You know, the way my daughter understood it at seven uh, was not the same as when she was 17 and 27. And it's the same for all of us. We are always growing. So I certainly wouldn't want to set any age limit in it. And I think each church community has to come to some sort of answer to that for themselves. But here at this place, as you say, Jesus modelled baptism. So pray for us now, Mike, as we consider his baptism. Lord Jesus, here in this place where you were baptised, to set an example for all who followed you of the need to be washed the need to make a new beginning, the need to cross over to the other side. Help us to examine our own hearts and for those of us who have been baptised to recall that baptism and the vows we made to you. And help us to check whether we're living by them. And for those, Lord, who are listening who haven't been baptised, then I pray today that today might get them thinking about what you would have them do next. And Jesus, whatever our stand on baptism, what we know is you went from this place to be tempted and tested and then to go out in the world to begin your ministry. May we too be those who are always ready to go out into the world to follow you and to seek to serve you there. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.
Mike Beaumont and David Taverner in the Holy Land, tracing the life of Jesus then and now. Check out the UCB website for the free episode guide with photos, Bible references and background information. Go to ucb.co.uk forward slash Jesus then and now. And you can hear more 30 minute conversations with Mike and David talking about the Bible on the UCB player app. Under podcasts, just select Bible books, Bible biogs or Bible surprises. (laughs) 